Good morning. We are reading today from 1 Peter chapter 4 and it's on page 1223 or on the screen. (coughs) Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to the human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near, Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Thanks, Sarah. And it would be great to keep um, that passage handy in front of you uh, as we uh, keep looking at it together. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. 
Um, I thought it would be good just to kind of start by naming the elephant in the room, uh, or the elephant in the passage, perhaps. Uh, It's pretty bizarre to see the words suffering and rejoicing in the same sentence, don't you reckon? Social commentators have pointed out that in our Western culture, um, we used to make sense of life through the categories of guilt and innocence. Uh, Like, am I right or wrong here? Uh, But in more recent times, there's been a bit of a shift so that um, we tend to weigh things up on the scales of pleasure and pain. Uh, So it's not, am I right or wrong, but does it feel good or feel bad? Um, I don't know if that sounds familiar or if you can kind of think about how that might play out in our culture. It makes the whole idea, though, of joy and suffering fitting together uh, seem pretty far out, I reckon. And it makes the question that Peter asks us today sound a bit crazy. And that question is, what are you happy to suffer for? What are you happy to suffer for? Uh, does sound a bit crazy on the surface. Um, But I want to suggest that actually even in our modern Western culture, um, we do that all the time. Like, um, why do people pay money to go to the gym? I don't know if that's you. That's that's not my thing. But, you know, paying money to make yourself puff and pant and and get yelled at by personal trainers. um, Yet, at least some of us love it. I take it not because... um, they enjoy pain, uh, but because we know that it, it, it fits into a bigger picture of getting bitter. Uh, or think about the parents you know, you know, sleepless nights, cleaning up vomit, um, or really any deep relationship. Um, there's the pain of annoying each other, uh, of having to be there when a crisis hits. But because you know how the hard bits fit into the bigger picture, you wouldn't trade it for the world. What are you happy to suffer for? Uh, Is there something in your life at the moment that you're willing to to sweat and get tired and sad about? Uh, There's something to be said, though, about, you know, choosing the less painful option sometimes. And I certainly want to be clear, like, I'm not uh, wanting to say that the Christian life is a morbid kind of life of looking for ways to suffer, but I do want to say that if we let pleasure and pain be the boss, we're going to miss out on a lot. And I think we see hints of that in our culture. You know, just think of the loneliness that comes from avoiding the risk of in deep, long-term, face-to-face relationships. I think that's one example. When we take a step back, perhaps the issue isn't, um, will I experience pain in my life? But what am I okay with experiencing that pain for? So back to 1 Peter. Why suffer willingly or even joyfully for being a Christian? That was a very real question for Peter's first readers, these precious believers scattered around the Roman Empire. 
um, as we've been kind of working through this letter, we've seen that they've been accused of doing wrong by their secular neighbours. They've been misunderstood, threatened. Uh, in today's passage, you know, they cop personal abuse for not joining in sinful activity. They're insulted for the name of Christ. But according to Peter, one of Jesus' first followers, this is the life of joy. Um, let me say, if you're here today investigating the Christian faith, or, or perhaps just a bit on the fence about whether you'd want to be all in for Jesus, what you're about to hear um, is not a glossy sales pitch for a pain-free life. Um, the Bible is too real for that. The question isn't so much, will I experience pain, but what am I willing? How will I make sense of all the complexities that will come with that? And my prayer for today um, is that we'll all leave here more convinced that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, makes sense of those questions. Because the gospel, the gospel road is the sure road to glory. And when you know how suffering fits into that, you can suffer even gladly. Don't trade it for the world. Um, so Peter's going to take us into three areas where we might struggle to find joy on the gospel road, and he's going to show us how the good news of Jesus brings meaning to those struggles. So they're the three headings in your leaflets. Um, struggle number one, when the battle against old desires is raging. Um, have a look with me again at verse one. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Back in chapter 3, Peter's just described Jesus' victory over all sin and evil at the cross. Um, and As our saviour, only Jesus can deal with the debt of sin that stands between people like you and me and the perfect God. And Jesus has done exactly that, perfectly and willingly at the cross. Now in chapter 4, Peter says, once you know that, once you've said yes to Jesus' offer to do away with all your failures, past, present, and future, that changes everything. You start to see your old desires in new ways. When I realized that Jesus bled and died to take the punishment for my lust and drunkenness and unbridled indulgence, the pain of continuing to live in those things becomes greater than the pain of giving them up. Because I want to be done with them like my Savior. And so the battle against sin begins, and it's hard. The thing that binds those sins listed in verse 3 together is that they all, I think, stem from deeply embedded human desires. So we need to be armed. At, did you notice the military language in verse 1? Armed with the gospel story. Our ammunition is the knowledge that our Savior went before us, that he suffered to do away with those things, and that he came out the other side 
as the trailblazer. We need that ammunition, not only because old desires die hard, but also because the pressure is going to come from outside when, in verse 4, people react. Uh, See, Peter assumes that these Christians are going to be in close enough relationship with people who aren't Christian that they're going to take notice. And in Peter's day, it was those who followed the mainstream pagan religions of Rome. They are surprised, Peter says, that you don't join them in their reckless, wild living and they heap abuse on you. Surprise leading to slander. Where were you the other night at the party? Are you judging me? How dare you? Who, who even are you anyway? If you're a believer today, have you experienced something like that before? Um, early in my Christian life, when I was fresh out of high school, I remember the first time uh, my friends were surprised by my changing priorities. Um, I had a very tight group of friends, and it was pretty common for us to get together at someone's house on a Saturday night for good times that would often get out of hand as drunkenness took over. As a young Christian, I was always a bit reticent about this, but I remember getting to a more decisive point where I was convicted. I want to be able to drive home at a reasonable enough hour to be up for church in the morning. And I vividly remember one of my early attempts to make an exit at about midnight one evening. I was still young. That was early. Um, (laughs) My mate who was hosting the night took me by the shoulders and said, Jamie, I know you've got stuff on tomorrow, but what could be more important than being here right now with your friends? And he nailed it. That was exactly the question I was wrestling with. I loved my friends, and I still do, but knowing Jesus had begun to shift my priorities so that I wanted to put honouring him first. Um, Now, my mate was being a little bit dramatic, um, but, you know, what are those areas for you at the moment where putting Jesus first means that someone around you might perhaps figuratively grab you by the shoulders and say, come on. What could be more important than X? It might be something listed in verse 3. You know, alcohol is a huge part of our Aussie culture. How we think about sex um, might not play out in orgies, but there's heaps of pressure in our world to celebrate sex on our terms rather than God's. Here's something that I found confronting this week. Um, Because I dislike confrontation, um, I'm likely to celebrate when no one around me reacts about how I live as a Christian. I think Peter would have me ask, though, if no one is surprised, is that because you're living just like everyone else? We're polite people in Adelaide, by and large. Maybe it's hard to imagine those obviously reckless behaviours that we might want to avoid. But subtle things, like 
finding fulfillment in comfort or personal success are no less idolatrous than an orgy in a pagan temple because it's about worshipping something that isn't Jesus. What could be more important than relaxing with friends? What could be more important than your kids getting every opportunity? Those moments of, of standing out will involve a measure of pain. But we're promised it's good for us because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Uh, looking back, um, that awkward experience of trying to work out some boundaries with parties uh, did me a world of good uh, in helping me to, to find my greatest joy in Jesus in kind of real life. When we start sweating, we need to look to the trailblazer who suffered and then rose. We're in the suffering bit of the road at the moment, but there is a time limit on that struggle. And so Peter encourages us in verse 5, look ahead. At the moment, it's Christians who have to give a reason to their friends for their hope. But the day will come when those who mock now will have to give a reason to the judge of the living and the dead. On the surface, it looks like those who eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die are having a better time. And you can imagine, you know, that when some of these first believers started to die, their pagan friends started to say, well, see, where is your God now? But listen to verse 6. This is the reason that the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. If you don't know that Jesus died and then rose, the Christian life is a tragedy. Judged by human standards... A Christian spends their time wrestling with how to relate to the pleasures of this world, copying criticism, only to die just like everyone else. But those who die believing the gospel aren't under human judgment. They live according to God, the mighty creator who will call them from their graves into the rolling pastures of eternity. If you're on the fence about Jesus today, his offer to you, it's not a glossy sales pitch, but Jesus holds out a life that is so much more than eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Which means, I think you can actually enjoy the good things of this world without the crippling anxiety of having to fit in all the good stuff before it ends. And when the hard bits come, you know that you are following the footsteps of a saviour who loves you. The gospel road is the one sure path to life. If you know that, then you can gladly sweat in those moments of pressure. What are those moments for you? Is it saying no to that extra drink on a Friday night? 
Is it the gentle conversation with extended family as you explain once again why church on Sundays is such a priority for your household? Is it being really thoughtful about how you navigate the next Pride Day at school or the workplace, knowing that it could lead to some tricky but really worthwhile conversations? These are the moments that we need to be armed with the mindset of the gospel road. Death, then resurrection. We need to live and breathe the story of our saviour. Which takes us to point two, when the temptation to isolate is real. There's trouble now, but the finish line is approaching. Look again at verse seven. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Um, Here's a little thought experiment that helped me um, appreciate how these next few verses fit into the chapter. Um, How do you picture verse 7 working out practically? Um, Here's where my brain first took me. I pictured an all-night vigil. I'm sitting by myself in a dark room, the outnumbered believer, keeping the candle of faith burning. Peter pictures something quite different. He takes us not to a solo vigil in verse 8, but to a crowded sitting room where there's family and friends helping each other through a tough night, bringing cups of tea and words of comfort. Have you had a night like that before? Um, You know, where something big is happening in a group of your loved ones, waiting for news from a doctor, uh, perhaps processing a big loss, and you band together. The end of all things is near. And we've just read about some of the challenges uh, that we'll face in those days, desires within, pressure without. And so what we really need to stay sober and sane is verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards, stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Um, that's a real challenge to my independent streak. Don't know about you. Um, but when the pressure hits, my temptation is to isolate, to retreat inside myself and just wait until things calm down a bit. These verses recognize that temptation. Um, There is a multitude of sins to cover over. Showing hospitality can make you want to grumble. Church is not perfect. But Peter challenges us. God's gift to us in these last days is each other. Um, Aisha and I moved from our home here in Adelaide to um, over to Sydney for a number of years back in 2017. Um, Really exciting move in lots of ways, but it was super painful to say goodbye um, to friends and family. Uh, One of my friends, Dave, uh, challenged me with this great piece of advice. Uh, He said, "You, you believe that you have family in Christ at church, right? Now is the time for you to really lean on that reality. So when you get to Sydney, I challenge you 
to accept help from people in your new church. Um, Let them help you unpack. Let them cook you meals. And in Dave's words, he said, Jamie, trust me, it will make them like you. Uh, Now, not that I'm about manipulating people into liking me, um, but I reckon that advice tapped into something really helpful. How can I expect to have supportive relationships if I'm not willing to let people in? Um, Letting people help means admitting that I could use some help. So um, we did let people um, help us in Sydney. We even asked them to help us. Um, And some of them became uh, the people whose living rooms we then sat in as they prayed us through the hard times. If that was a lifeline for us living in a new city, how much more for all Christians everywhere living as strangers and foreigners in a world on its last legs? Now is the time to, to lean on each other. What might this look like practically? Um, One way of thinking about loving church that I found helpful um, goes like this. Love lots of people at church in small ways and love a smaller group of people in lots of ways. Love lots of people in small ways. Um, You know, in a growing church like ours, God willing, I think, It won't be possible, actually, for us to all know each other super deeply, as sad as that will be in some ways. But we can love our whole church in little but important ways. Just turning up regularly is one of them. You can love lots of people in a small way, by serving practically, by being ready to have that revitalizing chat on the veranda, But we also need to love a smaller group of people who we know well and who know us well. Um, Our growth groups is one way that we try and help with that. But formal programs aside, here is the challenge I think Peter gives us. Do I have a handful of Christian friends who I could ask for help in a hard time? Does anyone at church, outside of my biological family, know me well enough to be able to put verse 8 into practice and cover over my sins with their patient love? How would you answer those questions at the moment? If the answer is I'm not sure that I have those kind of connections, my guess is that you're not alone in that. And Peter's encouragement to each of us is to think about using our words and deeds to be part of the solution. Uh, It might be being the one to reach out to someone that you don't really know yet for a catch-up. It could be deciding to include some brothers and sisters from church in the big moments of your life, um, whether it's a celebration or maybe even asking for help with a move. It'll mean a level of vulnerability, but those relationships with your church family are so vital in these last days. Opening our homes and therefore the mess of our lives to people um, who we may or may not know well is one powerful way 
of expressing the fact that we are family in Christ. Um, Aisha and I are at a stage of life, uh, you might be able to hear from the crying baby at the back of the room, where we're finding it a bit harder to show hospitality than we used to. One thing we found helpful, though, uh, is recognizing that there are different ways to do it. Uh, We're not super well-placed to do the entertaining kind of hospitality where we show people an amazing time. But we are fairly well-placed to show the inclusive kind of hospitality where we let people into the chaos of our lives and try to make people feel at home in that. Whatever it looks like, lean on your church family. So that when those heated moments come, there will be people around you to help you to say, I'm on the gospel road and I'm not alone. We need that because Peter's about to show that there will be times in the Christian life when you'll be tempted to feel abandoned and even ashamed. That's point three. The fiery ordeal that Peter talks about in verse 12 is a way of describing the unique pain that Christians feel. It's the pain, verse 14, of being insulted for the name of Christ. All human beings experience grief, sickness, and the pain of letting each other down. But there is something particular about suffering as a Christian, verse 16. It's the kind of pain we've talked about already, that relational strain of being treated with surprise and even slander, missing out because you put Jesus first. Imagine being one of Peter's first readers, those heated moments when your pagan friends say, where is your God now? And you're tempted to wonder, yeah, where is he? When you have to explain to your extended family once again that you you won't be joining them for the get-together at the pagan temple because you follow Jesus now and you see the pity and frustration on their faces again, you'd be tempted to feel ashamed. And if the gospel wasn't true, you'd never want to push through those moments of pain. But because it is true, there's verse 14, for the believer who feels abandoned by God. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Um, When I was five, I needed surgery to remove a cyst on my throat. Um, I don't remember really anything about it, except I've been told that I woke up from the anesthetic crying and accusing the doctor of lying to me because he said it wouldn't hurt. Now, while I was lying in that bed, I felt sore, sorry, and alone. But I can tell you for sure, my parents were in those hard hospital chairs right by my head that whole time. And that's a taste of how God relates to us in our suffering. When you suffer for being associated with the strong, kind Lord of the universe, it's in those moments where God might feel the furthest away that he's actually the closest. His spirit rests on you, just as he rested upon Jesus as he walked into the wilderness of temptation. 
That's how the fiery moments fit into the big story. When you're the only Christian in the room, when you're wondering if you did the right thing by throwing your lot in with Jesus, he is near. So, remember the Lord. And have a little conversation with yourself. This pain is a sign that God's spirit rests on me. I'm on the gospel road and my saviour is near. When you experience pushback for putting Jesus first, in those potentially embarrassing moments, you're actually participating in his sufferings. And there could be nothing more dignified than that. My father-in-law, John, uh, has modelled that kind of settled joy to me over the years. Um, He's someone who is just cheerfully out there about his faith, and if he gets a reaction, he just takes it in his stride. Um, I think of one time riding the train with John. Uh, He pulled his Bible out, and we read a passage together on the train, and I was a new Christian at the time, feeling a bit awkward, like, what if someone sees what we're doing? And my fear came true. Someone actually came up and said, what on earth are you two doing? And John just said, oh, we're reading the Bible. Have, have you read it before? Um, and they, then they walked off muttering, some, muttering something under their breath. Uh, John turned to me and smiled and said, that'll happen sometimes. And it's good. That means they noticed. And maybe it'll give them a chance to think about Jesus again participating in the sufferings of Christ. It's a good kind of pain because the kind of suffering we're talking about is the suffering that invites people to come back to God. What better reason could there be to break out into a sweat? I'm on the gospel road with my saviour. Are you willing to walk this road? Peter ends the chapter with a final assurance. Verse 17, it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? When you feel the flames licking at your heels, it's a sign that the finish line is near. For believers, it's not the flames of condemnation, but the refiner's fire. And it's a sure sign that the final judgment is coming. And in fact, it's already begun. If it's true that Jesus will return in glory soon, and these are the last days for people to get to hear the gospel and be saved, then we can look at the struggles of today from the perspective of standing with Jesus in resurrection glory soon. How will I think about the decisions I'm making now at that point? How will I feel about the times I just blended in because I was scared of what people might think? Will I regret the efforts I made not to shy away from church, even though it's not perfect? Will I regret the pain when I'm when I've crossed the finish line, will I regret the pain of battling with sin along the way? That's where the road is heading. 
Are you willing to walk on it? If you're not a follower of Jesus today, um, could it be a good day to reevaluate the road that you've been walking on, whatever it is, and ask, where is it heading? Could there be deeper joy to be found with Jesus? Perhaps you've been walking with him for a while now. Is today a good day to remember afresh which bit of the road that we're on at the moment? Do you need to remember that we're not at the end yet and there's work to do? Are there old desires that you've been unwilling to face to this point? Are there those moments of surprise with those around you that you've been avoiding? Or perhaps you need to be reminded that though we haven't arrived yet, the end is near. There is greater joy just around the corner. So don't trade it for the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please give each of us a deep, settled joy in knowing Jesus. May it strengthen us for when following him brings us into moments of pressure and even opposition. Help us to know that you are with us in the struggle now while we wait for the greater joy that's coming when your son returns. Amen.